So I was in Pueblo, Colorado, and in the church paper, in the church paper, uh, they had an article about a church in town, not the church I was a, a pastor of, or youth pastor of, but another church in town that had a fist fight in the church service in the center aisle. And the pastor, the article said, had suffered a human bite on his forearm. So, and, and the name of the church, believe it or not, was Victory Baptist Church. That week, we had a sports team, too. That week, I was in the sports shop, and I was buying some bats, and they said, uh, uh, you know, so what church are you with? I said, Victory Baptist Church. We're going to have a real good meeting this week, but I wasn't really with Victory Baptist Church. Uh, so, so Victory Baptist, I, I, think, I thank God that that has not happened here. That kind of thing has not happened here. God loves unity. God loves harmony. God loves it when we get together as God's children uh, in our families, in our church, family. Uh, Psalm 133, I read this a few weeks ago. I'm going to read it again in verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded his blessing, even life forevermore. Now, when I first read that a long time ago, I thought, that sounds kind of messy. Pour something on your head, and it runs down your hair, drips. I can almost, you know, feel it getting in my ear and, yeah, and, and running down, running onto your collar and then running down your shirt and dripping down to the hem of your garden. It sounds really messy, but you got to realize this special anointing oil was ordained by God. It was a special concoction that they were to put together, and it was only to be used for certain uh, purposes of dedication, and anybody who used it, uh, other, and, and if they made it up on their own, they were to be uh, excommunicated, they were to be marginalized by the rest of Israel. So this was a, it was a very uh, aromatic uh, oil and the anointing oil that speaks of the abundance of the Holy Spirit and the graces of God to the nation of Israel. So it had tremendous uh, symbolism. It was like the dew on the mountains uh, were a fertilizing uh, blessing upon the nation. So, So is, and let's not miss this point, so is unity in the church of Jesus Christ. When there's a unified, harmonious, moving forward as one, we're fulfilling John chapter 17. Now, there's a warning. I'll get to John 17. If you're there, honest, I will in a minute, but be patient with me. There's a warning given by Paul to the church at Corinth. Some of you maybe have come from the church called, the, you know, the Corinthian church or whatever. I've heard of churches named that. I would never want my church to be named the Corinthian church because the whole first Corinthians was a mess. Factions and immorality and heathen courts and marriage and divorce and messes with, the, with spiritual gifts and all kinds, financial issues and problems, all kinds of problems. So Paul says, I would not, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He said, I fed you with milk and not solid food because you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready for you're still in the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not really merely being human? What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither is he who plants nor he who waters anything, but only God who gives the growth. 
He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field and God's building. So this was, there was a problem in the church. People said, I'm of this, you know, I'm of Paul, I believe Paul. Well, I believe Peter. Well, I believe Apollos. Well, I am of Christ. I follow him. I don't follow any man. You probably heard some of those uh, reasonings in, in your life. And, and this was a problem at Corinth, but it's not limited to just Corinth. It's a problem in a lot of churches. To the Galatians, Paul said, instead of showing love among yourselves, which should be the norm, instead of showing love among yourselves, he says, you're always biting and devouring one another. Watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Now, we see the importance of a united leadership, and God has blessed the leadership here at First Baptist Church. I want you to know, and I've said this several times because I want you to really realize that you are blessed in having a leadership team that is unified, a leadership team that is spiritual, a leadership team that wants to seek God's perfect will, a leadership team that seeks to be honorable and transparent and above reproach in all of their dealings, and God will bless that. God blessed the early church with exponential growth, partly because of their harmony and their unity in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and verse 44 and verse 46. Uh, They were in one place, of one accord. God poured out his blessings. Lots of people got saved. Lots of people got baptized. Thousands uh, got baptized in the first couple of chapters, the first five chapters of the book of Acts. Thousands did. And so harmony and unity were so important that as I shared with the children a few moments ago, Jesus prayed specifically for each of you who claim the name of Christ and for me that we would be unified in John 17. Told you I'd get there. Verse 20. John 17, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, not only for these that are around me right now, he said for his disciples, this is Jesus praying, but for them also who shall believe on me through the word. How many of you believe on him? And, and probably everybody here pretty much. Uh, we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. So therefore, uh, for them also who shall believe on me through the word, that they may be one. They all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, and that they may be one in us and that the world may believe that God, that thou hast sent me. So one of the evidences of the the veracity of Christ and the trustworthiness of Christ is when Christians get along. And I'm going to tell you something. The opposite is true. When Christians don't get along, it's a reproach to the name of Christ. It hurts the cause of Christ. Not only hurts the church, it hurts the cause of Christ. That church in Pueblo, Colorado, 42 years ago, 43 years ago now, uh, that, uh, that was a blight in that community. That church was known. Oh, that's where they had the fist fight. Oh, that's where the preacher got bitten. I mean, you know, when Paul talked about biting and devouring one another, he was right on with that. They were biting the pastor. It's like, stop. What is going on with you people? It was a reproach to the name of Christ. And, and there were a lot of people who said, yeah, that's the way Christians are. When we don't get along, they, they point to us, the, the lost people point to us and say, that's the way Christians are. They, they profess to be loved. They profess to be uh, unified. They profess that they, they follow the same same. And then they can't even get along with each other. There are 4,000 different denominations or whatever. And Baptists are about the worst. I, I don't know, there's like 65 or 75 different kinds of Baptists, you know. We're supposed to be one. We don't 
always see eye to eye on everything. We don't always get along with uh, and, and have the same belief systems, but, but we, should, uh, we should be one as Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one, and we are to be one in them. So there's the importance of having a unified leadership because if the leadership is not unified, then the flock is going to be divided. Because it'll be easy then to gravitate toward different leaders within the body, and then the factions exist, and then there are power struggles. I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've, I've heard about churches going through looking for a pastor, and there was all these little, little uh, structures within the church, uh, these little factions within the church that all looking for different things. And you ought, to, you ought to thank God, literally, that your leadership team and your church is not in that category. The importance of the United Leadership Team. It is the model that Christ prayed for in John 17. Second point, God blesses harmonious churches. God doesn't bless bickering churches. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies. And listen to this. A person who sows discord among brothers. A person who sows discord among brothers is not to be listened to, is not to be regarded, is not to be followed. In Luke chapter 11, verse 17, Jesus is in his last little while of, of being on this earth, his last few days of ministry, and they're walking along the roadside, and, and they're, they're divided a little bit. And he said unto them, trying to teach them a mighty lesson, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. A house divided against a house falls. A house that's divided falls. So is church strife a new thing? Unfortunately, no. What were the disciples doing just before Jesus was crucified? Arguing about who was going to be on the left and who was going to be on the right. And I'm sure they weren't thinking about Calvary. (laughs) I'm sure they weren't thinking about that. They were thinking about the kingdom. They were thinking about a throne. Hey, sons of thunder, uh, come up to them and say, listen, Jesus, we've been thinking about this, and, 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 and if this would work out for you, it would really work out for us. If you could make one of us the, 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 the vice president and one of us the, uh, the, the, the CFO uh, of your organization, we would be really happy about that, and we would just, you know, boy, that would be great. Yeah, are you willing to go through what I'm going to go through? Oh, of course we are not having a clue what he was about to go through. So even, even there with Jesus in the picture, they were arguing about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I heard a, about a church, another church years and years ago that's, that had a big controversy about whether they should have a piano or not. And half the church didn't think they should have a piano. Half the church thought they should have a piano. One Sunday, there it was. Half the people walked out. Next week, when everybody came, the piano was gone. They didn't find it for several weeks. They couldn't find what happened to the piano for several weeks until they found it. Somebody put it in the baptistry. There wasn't any water in the baptistry. They put it in the baptistry to get it out of the auditorium. And, and you know what the sad commentary on that is? It took them a long time to figure it out because they weren't baptizing anybody because God wasn't there. When there's ascension in the body of Christ, there are not many salvations and baptisms, and God help us when we let things come before that. There are lots of threats to harmony, point three. Lots of threats to harmony. False teaching is one of them. Uh, I always told my people, I said, you know, 
uh, I expect you to follow the pastor as he's following the Lord. If I ever lose my mind and start preaching heresy, then don't follow me. If I conflict with the word of God, then I'm wrong. Because the word of God is our rule of faith and practice. It is the only foundation. Uh, I, I'm not a, uh, I don't claim any, any special status of inspiration uh, and not in the way the word of God is inspired. Uh, it, was, it was very much exactly word for word what God wanted penned down. Uh, I may make, make mistakes, uh, but the word of God never, ever makes a mistake. So if I depart from teaching and preaching the word of God, don't follow me in that. Paul gave a warning in Acts chapter 20. He said, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. That's in the church. That's not, he's not talking to a bunch of lost people gathered outside at the casino or the bar somewhere. He's talking to church people and says, this is what's going to happen. When I'm gone, grievous wolves are going to come in. And, and, and don't, don't follow them. Don't pay attention. In Acts chapter 15, some legalists came from Judea and taught that the new converts not only had to believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, but they also had to be circumcised uh, and showing the covenant of the nation of Israel. So the believers in Antioch, new Christians, uh, sought some advice from Jerusalem, from the disciples, the apostles there. And there was this debate. And finally, they were told to abstain from pagan practices like sexual immorality, but they did not have to become Jews. They did not have to become circumcised. They were advised to abstain from certain meats in deference to the Jews because in that culture, you didn't go down to the Bonds or the Albertsons. You went to the meat market like you do still in some countries today, and there's meat hanging there. And in these days, in the Bible days, these, these animals that had been slain were many times offered to certain idols. So, so you know, stay away from the meats that have been offered to idols, especially if they tell you about it. Um, the people were, uh, were very glad for this encouraging message that we're under grace. You don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be circumcised. And harmony, the verse, verse 31 of Acts 15 says, Harmony was restored and the church continued to grow. When harmony is restored, the church grows. Who wants to go to a place where there's a lot of bickering and fighting and feuding and punching and gouging and pastor biting. Who, who wants to go there? Not me, especially not me. I don't want to be around with that kind of stuff going on. There's a legalistic spirit. Technically, a legalist is anyone, technically, who attaches works to salvation. So if I say, in order to be a child of God, you, of course, need to believe in the Lord, but then you also need to go to church, and you need to be baptized, and you need to join the church, and you need to have this and that. If I add, when I start adding stuff to salvation, that makes me a technical legalist in that uh, you, have to, you have to do something during your salvation. But Paul said it's by grace through faith. You can't earn your salvation. You can't buy your way in. You can't be good enough to get in. So the fact of the matter is we've all come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. We're all going to die one day. Unless the Lord comes back during our lifetime, we're going to die. There will be a funeral service for us. So legalists often uh, have, have lists of rules and confuse the message and methods and have no tolerance for differing opinions. And uh, some people think churches have gone liberal if you have a keyboard and, and a drum, which we don't even play. Well, we got this thing. See, this is okay. That's not. That's round, and this is rectangular. This is okay. 
Now, that doesn't make any sense, but neither does a lot of people's reasoning. One church uh, debated over whether to have a gym or not, and there was a faction of people who said, no, we shouldn't have a gym because that's entertainment, that's, and, and church shouldn't be for entertainment. Church should be for spiritual things. And, and so they debated this thing and shouldn't have fun and competition, and yeah, we should, and, and finally they decided they'd have a gym, but they don't have one goal on one side, not have two. Now, that's just stupid. But that's how we are sometimes. Legalism threatens harmony. In Romans 4, I referred to the meat offered to idol thing. And, and again, if, if, uh, if someone invited you over to their house and they said, uh, you know, we've, we've got some steaks for you and we want you to enjoy these steaks and you're to sit down and eat it. You don't have to. I mean, this is what Paul's saying to him. You don't have to ask them, well, where did it come from? Was it, was it dedicated to a god? Was it sacrificed to some fake pagan, idol. You don't have to do that. But as you're cutting into that juicy T-bone steak and, you know, and there's that big old baked potato with sour cream and butter. Should we just leave right now and go to lunch? Yeah. And, and as you're cutting into it, and he says, oh, by the way, that was offered to the goddess Diana. Then, then Paul says, you put your fork and knife down. Because they have made it a point to let you know this was dedicated to a false idol. Are you going to eat it? And then you say, I'm sorry. But for, for conscience sake, I can't eat it at this, at that, at this point. So uh, don't make a big deal about stuff unless they make a big deal about stuff and then don't eat it. And, and then there's criticism. One of the best ways to divide a church is with a sharp tongue. One of the best ways to divide a church with a, with a sharp tongue sharp tongue. What we say has great power for either good or for evil. You realize that, right? James said it this way in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. These 25, 6 wildfires that are going on in California right now, some of them were started by an ember, by a small spark. That's all it takes. And sometimes problems in the church start because of a little spark or an ember from a sharp tongue that's like fire. The tongue is a fire, verse 6. It's in a world of iniquity, and so is the tongue among our members, that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Pretty strong language. The tongue is is set on fire from hell, and it can start a huge fire, and it can cause all kinds of problems. Do you know gossip is still wrong? Do you know if you're not part of the solution in a situation, you're part of the problem if you're talking about somebody or something? Do you know that? The Bible directs us if we have a problem with someone to go to that person. I just, I just did that last night. My wife and I met for dinner, and I was ticked at somebody. Now, I, I know Pastors aren't supposed to get ticked. But mine was a righteous indignation. Yours is sinful when you're angry. Mine was a righteous indignation. I was flat ticked. And, and, I, and I said, you know what? Matthew 18 says, if I have something against a brother, and he was a brother, I go to him. So Pat's saying, take it easy, calm down. Do you want me to go with you? No. <laughs> don't want any witnesses. No. Don't want you there. And you know what? God 
took care of it like that. Almost, almost within seconds, not even a minute later, after I brought up the contention I had with this individual, he made it right. And all's good. So, criticism needs to be confronted. If you have something against someone, you go to them. You don't, I don't go to Nate and say, you know what? That Dennis guy, man, he bugs me. You know, it's just, I don't understand. You know, I don't do that. I mean, if I do, that's wrong. And if we have something against a brother, sister in Christ, another family, that's wrong to go to someone else and talk to them. We're to go to the person. We're to make it right with the person. That's the remedy. There is no remedy. Now look, if I, you know, all through our ministry, when, when I had issues with, with people, I didn't go home and tell my wife about them. I didn't go tell, boy, you won't believe what so-and-so did today. You won't believe what so-and-so said today. You know why? Because I can fix it with them. And meanwhile, she wouldn't have the opportunity to fix it with him because it was never between her and them to begin with. And what we do is we pick up offense for other people. Have you ever done that? You take up offense for someone else, for a friend, for your husband, for your wife, for your kids. It's real easy. Take up offense for your kids because someone wronged them, and so you're hostile toward that person. Meanwhile, your kids are back playing with them. They've forgotten about it, and you're saying, make it right. Don't take up offense for people that haven't wronged you. Our personal witness, our church leadership, our, all of that's important. And by the way, the remedy in the Word of God, if it's serious enough, is you actually withdraw fellowship from them. I mean, that's, and, and that purpose, the purpose of that was not to, aha, we'll show them, but it was to cause them to come to a point of repentance. That happened in 1 Corinthians where Paul pointed out there was a man in that congregation who was involved in sexual immorality, and so they withdrew fellowship from him. And 2 Corinthians the guy had come back and repented and was back in the church and things were right. And that's the way it ought to be. Can't please everybody all the time, but you can do the best that you possibly can. Another problem is ego. Ego, someone says ego is edging God out. First letter of each of those, edging God out. Ego. Self becomes before everyone else, including God. Many claim to have the best interests of the church at heart, but it's all about their ego. And hurt feelings, I'm sad to say, are one of the big reasons that people lead churches. Hurt feelings. God help us not to do that, but rather to heed Romans 12.10, to be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Let me finish up with this. Number four, steps to harmony. Steps to harmony. Our kids used to, every once in a while, get into it with each other. I guess everyone's kids do. Uh, Sometimes we, as God's people, get into it with each other. So what can we do to fix that? First of all, keep your ego under control. Unity requires humility. Unity requires thinking more of other people than you do of yourself. Unity requires... No matter, not worried about who gets the credit as long as the job gets done. It's not patting ourselves on the back. It's letting someone else take the credit. If necessary, check your ego at the door. Secondly, be flexible. In doctrine, be immovable, steadfast, 
Always about it. In doctrine, don't move away from the deity of Christ. Don't move away from his sinless perfection. Don't move away from his literal physical crucifixion and literal physical resurrection. Don't move away from the fact that he's coming back again. Don't move away from cardinal doctrine and the word of God. But be flexible in preferences. You want to have lack of harmony? Demand everything be done your way. Do you realize how tough it is to be a pastor? Mike, I know you realize how tough it is. You've got however many people, and you're trying to, you're trying to make everybody happy, and not everybody likes the same kind of music. Not everybody likes the same temperature. It's too hot. If you have air conditioning, it's too cold. I don't like singing out of a hymn. I don't like singing off of a screen. Up in the front. I, it's too, I don't like chairs. I don't like pews. I don't like, yeah, 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 yeah. You guys don't know, you know how tough it is trying to please a whole bunch of people. So what you got to do is do the best you can, um, but, but, but be flexible. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not break. That's the book of Hezekiah, I think, chapter 2, I believe, anyhow. Uh, develop a sense of humor, Proverbs 17, 2. A merry heart does good like a medicine. That's, that's from the Word of God. A merry heart does good like a, Mex- like a, like a medicine. I, I mean, did I say Mexican? <laughs> well, they're happy, you know. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. A church survey revealed recently that healthy churches were churches and congregations that laughed together. We ought to be able to laugh at ourselves. We ought to be able to laugh with each other. A good sense of humor can help us overcome hurt feelings, tense moods, and confrontation. Then respect the leaders. Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch after your souls. There's a heavy, there's a heavy responsibility on these chaplains, a heavy responsibility on pastors, a heavy responsibility on Sunday school teachers, those that watch over our souls, those that, try, that feed us spiritually, those that try to do for us. Respect the office. It's appointed by God. We need good leaders. We need cooperative followers. I mean, not always be right. Uh, and you don't have to do what, what you're told when your spiritual leader tells you to do something wrong. Jim Jones had everybody sell everything and move to Ghana or whatever it was. That wasn't right. That was wrong. Drink the Kool-Aid. That was not right. That was wrong. But you should always Always respect the leadership that God's placed. When you get a pastor here, you ought to respect him. You ought to honor him as your man. One of the things um, that our church did, they always, always honored us, respected us, took care of us. We never had, we never had these horror t- stories you hear about boards, you know, controlling and, and beating down and keeping the preacher, you know, trying to keep him humble or whatever. Never, we never had that. Avoid controversy if possible. Someone said something a long time, it makes, makes sense to me. A bulldog can whip a skunk, but it's just not worth it. You know what I mean? You get it? A bulldog can whip a skunk, but it's just not worth it. You, you can confront every little offense, but sometimes you just need to let it go. Just leave it alone, especially when you're driving on the freeways in Southern California. Let it go. 
Titus 3.9, avoid foolish questions, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. We can argue about the millennial kingdom and when it starts and when it happens and when it doesn't and the rapture pre, post, mid. We can, we can argue about purpose-driven church till the end of the age. You won't make one little bit of difference. Uh, the fact of the matter is we just don't have to be contentious with each other. We can be loving with each other. We can be forgiving of each other. We can be humble. Sometimes we just need to avoid silly controversy. Next thing is confront divisive people when necessary. I already referred to that. Matthew chapter 18, Titus chapter 310 says, If anyone is causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing to do with that person. Matthew 18 is the whole system. And first and second Corinthians tells about the man where it worked, and it will work. Practice servanthood, John chapter 13. All the disciples were concerned about who was going to be the greatest. And while they were all concerned about who was going to be the greatest, what did Jesus do? He took a basin of water and a towel, and he wrapped the towel around his waist, and he got down on his knees in front of his disciples and began to what? Wash their feet. That's, a, that's an act of humility. The creator, the son of almighty God, washing the dirty feet of his followers. It's a beautiful picture. In fact, some churches incorporate foot washing as part of their, their church ordinances. You know, when harmony is abundant is when we think about meeting the needs of others instead of having our needs met. When we leave here in a few minutes, I want us asking, how can I meet the needs of my brothers and sisters here rather than what did it do for me? I mean, really, how can I better serve? How can I better represent Christ? How can I affect the people? Not did it please me? Did it tickle my funny bone? Last thing here, be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive people. This is the hard part, but I think it's, it's very important. Even before they ask you to forgive them. As soon as you figure out somebody has offended you, hurt you, been verbally abusive, or whatever else, when you figure it out, immediately in your own heart, in your own mind, forgive them. Because not forgiving is like drinking poison to get even with them. Not forgiving is like drinking poison to get even Who's to go to the other one to make it right? Paul says the one who's stronger. Usually when children get older, they get along better. You know why? They're more mature. Because a divisive spirit is a sign of immaturity. So you know what? As the church grows and as, and as new Christians are being born into the family, you're going to have... You, hopefully all the time, young Christians. That's, that's an ideal situation. Young Christians, been saved a couple of months or a couple of weeks or maybe six months or a year, and, and they're going to have issues, and there's going to be times when they're going to be offended, and they're going to offend, and you work with them and get them through that. But when we mature, let's not be one who's always offended and always offending, but rather let's seek after harmony and unity. And will we do all that we can, like I told the kids a, minute, a little while ago, will we do all that we can to get along with God's family?
the family he's given to us. Would you bow your heads, please? I want you to look into your own heart for just a minute with every head bowed. And I want you to ask yourself a hard question. Have you been guilty of being inharmonious, disharmonious? Have you, instead of being unifying, have you been divisive? And this might be at work. It might be at home. It might be at your church. Do you have a spirit of antagonism instead of a spirit of trying to unify, bringing together, and being what God wants us to be and being what Christ wants us to be? Will you work toward being harmonious and unified in Christ? Our Father, we thank you for John 17. We thank you for encouragement from the gospel, from encouragement from the very lips of our Savior, that we would be one even as Christ and you and your Holy Spirit are one. What a tall order. What a high goal, a lofty goal. May we achieve it for your honor, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.